Welcome to St. Mungo's Podcast for the Magically Deprived, where you can get your weekly Potter fix. We will be discussing the Harry Potter series chapter by chapter. If you've read the books previously or are just starting the series for the first time, we hope you enjoy this journey through Harry's adventures at Hogwarts and beyond. Please be aware that this is not a spoiler-free podcast. We may at times reference future events, people, or places. Also, there will be adult language and content. So if you have little ones listening, you may want to send them out of the room or listen at another time. Hello, everyone. I'm Joe. I'm Megan. And I'm Serena. This week, we will be discussing Chapter 8 of The Prisoner of Azkaban, Flight of the Fat Lady. But before we get into the chapter, let's head over to Serena in the Slytherin common room for some quibbler controversy. Serena, what do you got for us today? Hello. So today we're going to do kind of a, a free discussion. This is a discussion point from Scholastic.com. Harry and his friends have three new teachers this year, which we kind of discuss more at the beginning of this chapter. Compare what they learn in Hagrid's Care of Magical Creatures class, Lupin's Defense Against the Dark Arts class, and Trelawney's Divination class. What are the skills that each teacher brings to his or her subject, and what skills do the students learn best from each of them? I'm going to go Divination kind of teaches them to be insightful and to look past kind of the obvious, I think. Past the mundane? Yeah, past the mundane, past what you think you actually see. Yeah, so I'm going to say foresight for that one. And did Serena, did you say skills that the teacher brings to the subject? Yeah, what skills they bring and like what the students learn from them. I wasn't prepared to take a test today. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for me, I mean, I know that um, divination and care of magical creatures are um, elective subjects so they're not necessarily as serious but for me I kind of think more about like we kind of talked about it last week where care of magical creatures I don't really know what career you would get into I guess there's a couple available but in terms of divination there's I can't really think of anything that you would really specialize in and other than teaching philosophy divination kind of goes hand in hand with philosophy I'm just thinking um, in terms of the magical world. I'm wondering if the ministry has a division where they have psychics help them try to solve crimes. Do we think they're taken seriously when they do try and help? Well, if it's all as crazy as Trelawney. If it's a proper (laughs) seer, they would. The reason that people thought Trelawney was going to be so great, I think it's her great-great-grandmother Cassandra was actually a very famous seer. Yeah, And everybody's disappointed when they hear Trelawney because they figure she would have some of her grandmother's talents, which she does, but it doesn't come out that often. I was going to say the thing with Trelawney, they don't want everyone to know that she's actually a real seer and actually tells real prophecies. I kind of think of just like the value of the lessons really, you know? I do think that even though she is not taken as seriously. She still makes them see things from a different point of view. And I mean, that comes in handy regardless of what career you choose, right? Mm -hmm. Thinking outside the box. She does still teach them, like they do the tea leaf readings and the other stuff. Like she does teach them different skills. I don't know if you can really use any of them if you don't. I mean, I guess you can. I assume in the the magical world, it would be the same as real world. We have like psychics that people go to to see their future. 
I was wondering if part of why Hermione doesn't like Trelawney is because she grew up in the muggle world where they have like psychics pretending to be seers and telling people's futures so she already had that kind of like connotation yeah yeah that's interesting she sees them with their little like corner booths at the the mall (laughs) yeah she's like this is all fake (laughs) like why are they teaching us this hoax yeah but i i also think when mcgonagall had said to hermione she made a comment about thinking that divination is not a great subject i think hermione just kind of that reinforced her her thinking of divination yeah and then she was like oh yeah now i really don't like this if mcgonagall doesn't like it then (laughs) it just kind of backed her up in that perspective that's true so care of magical creatures hagrid i think is actually the best the best teacher they could have found for this class because he does have a lot of care and compassion so i think Mm -hmm. he brings that into his subjects i think it's great in the magical world to learn about magical creatures because you never know what you're going to come across Mm -hmm. and if we're talking about um transferable skills it teaches you to appreciate things that are different than you that's what i was thinking about hagrid like again unless you're going into the field well i guess you could like encounter random magical creatures but he does have a lot to offer if you have interest in the subject or if you're going into the field like imagine if haggard was teaching when haggard was at school you know well the only reason he got boring was because he lost his confidence with what happened with buckbeak and now Mm -hmm. he's like a little nervous because he doesn't want to get fired obviously he likes his job and he's so happy that he's teaching now then he started teaching about boring creatures but other than that i think he's full of knowledge about magical creatures and he has a lot to offer 100 percent. and i think if you sat down with him one-on-one and just like even showed the slightest interest in a magical creature he would just like info dump everything oh for sure and lupin the thing i love about lupin i think more than any of the other teachers the patience he shows and the kindness and the way he teaches. I really he's, like him. He's Lupin. very compassionate. He's very compassionate and he does a good job at teaching them how to be calm in the face of their fears, which is very important if you're a wizard, I think. He just overall has that very calming quality about him. Yeah. Very I, tranquil person. Um, What does Lupin do? He's defense against the dark arts. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, he just started, are like, you not reading the book? Did you read the last chapter? Well, like, what's his career? He no, just I, started teaching. What's he been doing all these years? I don't think he has one because he's just doing werewolf shit. That's why he's so poor. I think he's unemployed because of the stigma against werewolves. That's why he was so grateful to Dumbledore for giving him the chance to work. He has a something. Unless he's like freelance, he takes jobs here and there. I don't know. What qualifies him to teach defense against the dark arts? Obviously, he's had some real life experience, but. Well, we have seen throughout the entire series that I don't think many of them were qualified to teach defense against the dark arts. Last year was awful. (laughs) Yeah. Quirrell is like, that's what he does. He travels and. If Lockhart had actually written the books that he says he wrote, yeah, he would have been qualified. qualified. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Like, technically, they didn't... Well, they did know, but, like, if they didn't know yeah, that he was see, a fraud, he was technically qualified. That's the thing, is because Dumbledore knew he was a fraud. Yeah. He still hired him. I don't know if Lupin, because he's a werewolf and he's underground a lot of times, if he encounters, because Lupin actually seems very knowledgeable yeah, he's teaching in Defense Against the Dark Arts. Like, obviously, he was in um, the first round of Order of the Phoenix, so he has, you know, the real-life experience, but... 
they all take it in school. It's like a mandatory subject. Now that I'm like, we're getting into it, I'm trying to figure out what qualifies people to teach certain subjects. I don't think there's any specific qualifications. We also have core subjects that we have to take, mm -hmm. but some of us are better at them, like math. I had to take math in school throughout my entire school career, and I hate math and I'm terrible at math, where some people are excellent at math. So I guess it's just where your interests lie and what you excel at. You just go to Hogwarts and learn what you learn. How old are they when they leave Hogwarts? 1718. 1718. Yeah. Okay. So same as high school. I do they have a magical post secondary? I think it's more of like an a either apprenticeship or what's yeah. that other thing that we do in high school where you're co-op. Yeah, like a co-op or apprenticeship. So really it's just if you excelled at it in school, then, then you qualify to teach it. <laughs> teach it. I'm just imagining like you're going on to be an or and literally fight dark wizards and you're just 18 you just got out of oh. school you had all these horrible teachers all year obviously we know the position's cursed so you had a different teacher every year your education was very inconsistent and now you're going off to work for the ministry in book five remember they do career counseling oh yes so they sit down with their teacher and they actually tell them what they would like to be when they grow up and then the teacher tells them which courses they have to take to gear towards that career they have to have certain grades in order to sure, excel yeah. at that profession. True. Yeah. Once they pass their OWL. So there's probably kind of stipulations. Work. It can only go by, I guess, their grades. So like yeah. Serena said, once you do your OWL, if you excel at that subject, then you can go into whatever career coincides with the subjects you're taking. See, I imagine the, o the owls being like the SATs in my head. Yeah, probably. You know, you do well on your SATs and then that kind of sets you towards this path, even though I've never had to take an SAT in my no. life. <laughs> I imagine them to be like. Yeah. So sorry, Americans. Is it mandatory for them to SATs? do SATs? Yeah, that's an American thing. Ours is like um, stupid cat tests we used to have to do. Grade like three, six, nine, oh, and yeah, 12. Um, we have to color the circle in. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember those. We, I don't think it was still called cats. EQAO. Yeah, EQAO. Oh, yeah, yeah. You guys yeah. did EQAO. Yeah, ours was EQAO. Us, it was cats. C-A-T's. That uh, fits actually very good in the wizarding world. They do owls and newts, and we yeah. did cats. When I was looking at applying to colleges in the States, I was going to have to take my SATs, and then I decided, no, I didn't want to do that. And I looked at an art school in San Francisco, and I would have had to take my ACT, which is an art version of an SAT. And I was like, what the actual hell? No. What is the SAT exactly? I think it's like an aptitude test. Do you know what it stands for? What's the high school equivalency test? There's a name for that. Uh, GED. SAT stands for Scholastic Aptitude Test. Yeah. Anything's got the word test in it. I'm like, I'm good. No matter how much I know and how much information that is in my head, once I sit down to actually have to be tested on it, I'm like, uh, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like Can we panic. just have a discussion instead, perhaps? Yeah, right? The pressure yeah. of like, I know all of this stuff. Just ask me in a discussion. Don't make me sit here with quiet and everyone else around me writing it. Yes. And then come stand over my paper and look at me while I do it. Can you yes. please go away? When we were in school, our whole thing was when in doubt, circle C. <laughs> Yeah, if you didn't know the answer, just circle C. We had a sociology teacher in high school. She was a jerk. She made every single answer B, 
except for one because yeah. she's a bee yeah because she's a sociologist <laughs> yeah. all right did we cover all the points that we were supposed to be discussing and some that we weren't yeah so. <laughs> back okay. to you joe in the gryffindor common room for our chapter so defense against the dark arts has become everyone's favorite class the only ones who had anything bad to say about Professor Lupin were Draco and his gang of Slytherins, who made fun of his shabby robes and apparent lack of money. Harry was hating Potions class more than usual because ever since the word got out about Neville's bogger, Snape has been in an even fouler mood than he usually was. Harry now dreaded divination class as well because Professor Trelawney took to staring at him with teary eyes whenever she saw him. Everyone had grown to hate care of magical creatures class. After the first class, Hagrid lost his nerve and now settled on teaching them to care for flubberworms. The only thing Harry was looking forward to was the fast approaching Quidditch season. And this year is Oliver Wood's last year at Hogwarts, and he took every opportunity to let them know that this is his last shot at the Quidditch Cup. The team reassures him that this is going to be their year and resolve to train three evenings a week. One evening after Quidditch practice, Harry returned to the common room to find everyone buzzing. A notice had gone up on the common room notice board for the first Hogsmeade weekend, which would be on Halloween. Do you think it's an all weekend thing? Can they go Saturday and Sunday or just Saturday? Or do they just call it Hogspeed Weekend because it's on the weekend? Like, can they just go whenever they want? Or is it like yeah. a designated time? That's what I don't know because she'll... Since September, why only now at the end of October are they allowed to go? Yeah, there are only certain times of the year that they're allowed to go, but they call it Hogsmeade Weekend. So I was wondering if they're allowed to just go like back and forth anytime over the weekend, but between like, let's say 9 a.m. and... 6 p.m. or something like they have to be back for dinner I suppose but I didn't know if it was just a one-day thing or is it a whole weekend thing I'm thinking about it yeah because even like when they're at Hogsmeade they're allowed to return to school throughout the day if they've had enough they can come back or they can stay until I think dinner time but I wonder if they're allowed to go back and forth for the weekend I'm just thinking like I guess the first time that they leave Filch gets the permission forms but once he has them it's yeah. fine. But I also feel like they can't just be wandering back and forth. Up until now, I always felt it was just a one day thing, like the Saturday. Yeah, because yeah, but... like what happens? Okay, yeah, now Filch has their permission forms and he what so what? He's just not gonna stand by the door and anyone can walk out that door. I was and just gonna go say to now. Yeah, they would still have to wow. kind of oversee who's leaving. Where because like let's say even on Saturday, everybody leaves, they hand in their permission forms. Then nobody's like manning the gates anymore. So anybody could still just leave if they wanted yeah. to, regardless. Well, I guess they would have to take the carriage. So maybe the carriage just goes one way and then back, right? But I feel like they don't take the carriage. I feel like they, they walk. Have to. I don't think they can walk. Because when they take the train, the train drops them at Hogsmeade and it takes the carriage up because you can't just come through. Like you can't just go in and out of Hogwarts, right? Because then anyone could just wander in and out. No, but it is walkable because when, you remember when Draco stomps on Harry's face and he gets left on the train, Tonks is there, but then they walk back and remember, and then Snape comes and meets him at the gate. So it is walking distance. I think they just take the carriage just because they've just arrived off the train and it's right. like, let's take the carriage to school. But if you wanted to, you could walk. 
But I'm saying not just anyone can walk from Hogsmeade into Hogwarts ground, right? No, you can't just walk into the grounds, but like the students, I'm just... And I mean, I feel like maybe they can go both days. And I guess right now there's really no worry about people sneaking out because the Dementors are out there. So they wouldn't be able to get out anyways. I feel like they can go both days, but not just like whenever they feel like it. No, I do think it would have to be between a certain time. So maybe they just don't mention that the second day somebody's there to say, okay, who's going today? Because they only ever talk about the one day. I don't know. It's just something that tickled my brain while I was reading it. <laughs> I'm just I'm just noticing this right now. I have a red shirt on and you have a white shirt on and Serena has a red and white shirt on. Look at that. Watching. Oh, that just makes my heart so happy. <laughs> You have a black hat on, and Serena also has black in her shirt. I do have a black hat on. We are like super coordinated today. Super matchy. All right, so Harry was far from excited about the Hogsmeade weekend, and Hermione reassures him that Sirius Black would be captured soon, and he can go to Hogsmeade the next time. But Ron doesn't think that Sirius Black would attack Harry in Hogsmeade and urges Harry to ask Professor McGonagall for permission. Crookshanks is still in hot pursuit of Scabbers, causing a lot of tension between Ron and Hermione. Ron is convinced that there's something off about Crookshanks, but Hermione just says that he's being a normal cat. Now, who would you side with in this situation, Ron or Hermione? I don't think that's really fair because we know the outcome of who that rat is. Put that aside. If you were like Harry and they were both bickering about these two pets... Who do you think is wrong? I mean, and this actually escalates a lot more than where we are here. I feel like it would be the same thing as kind of having like a cat and a dog. When I brought Copper here, Pico would go after Copper all the time. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. It's a dog and a cat. You also have to cohabitate. So figure it out, guys. I don't know. I kind of see both sides. But I do feel like Hermione is very like, well, whatever. Like she's very dismissive of the issue. Yeah, I, I don't ever see her even make an effort to keep Crookshanks away. F- yeah, which I find very odd. I feel I like she's kind of in the wrong in the first place because he literally attacked Scabbers in the shop, and then she was like, "Hmm, I'm gonna buy him." <laughs> well, no, and Scabbers was there first, like Ron said. That I kind of get because she felt bad for him and thought this cat's never gonna get a home. Let me take him. That I completely get because that's something I would do. It's like. Nobody loves you. I will love you. But I do think that she's very, just very passive of him attacking scabbers. I genuinely laughed out loud on my couch for a solid two minutes when Ron was like, don't listen to what she has to say. She doesn't care much about other people's pets. Good thing I was alone because I just burst out laughing in a dead quiet house. She's right in the sense of it's just normal cat behavior. Yeah, and make an effort to keep him away from Ron's pet, because that's Mm. also Ron's pet. And we know, like you said, Meg, how the situation really works out. So he could very well have killed Scabbers, and Ron, not knowing about Scabbers, would be devastated. I also thought, I don't know if a little bit of foreshadowing, but I thought it was kind of tricky, the way she worded it when Ron was like, I think there's something wrong with that animal. And then it's like, "Mm, really, there's something wrong with your animal. Is he supposed to have magical powers of any sort, or is he just yeah. a regular ass cat? I'm going to get into that right now. Crookshanks oh. is actually half Neasel. Mm-hmm. So Neasels are Neasel. magical. I thought, you, I thought you said Measel, and I was like, 
cats can have measles no, it's spelled k-n-e-a-z-l-e yeah. yeah. so it's i caught them in my in the harry potter video game you oh get out them and then capture them and then you put them in the room of requirement you have like a big thing that they can go on and like play in the fields and stuff oh. so you rescue them from poachers in the wild and bring That's them to like awesome. your little sanctuary yeah it's pretty cool so they are, in fact, magical feline creatures related to and similar in appearance to a cat. They have spotted, speckled, or flecked fur, large ears, and plumped tail like a lion. They are thought to have separate breeds like cats and therefore vary in appearance. They make excellent pets. They have a very high level of intelligence, are independent, and occasionally aggressive. They have an uncanny ability to detect suspicious and distrustful people, and they can also safely guide their owners home. Because of their aggression towards certain individuals, measles have a triple X classification by the Ministry of Magic if they are not interbred with another species. Measles can interbreed with normal cats, and they generally have up to eight kittens in every litter. Measle owners are required to have a license to own the animals, some wizards and witches make a living by breeding measles or park measles, such as Mrs. Fig. And she makes her living in this manner. And that would explain why she has so many cats. And an interesting fact is measles whiskers can also be used as wand cores, but they are inferior to wands made with more traditional cores. Interesting. So, so uh, Niesel is indeed a magical being. So Kirkshanks and, and is... sniff out suspicious people. So there you That's go. correct. So Ron is still pissed at Hermione the following day. And when she asks him how Scabbers is doing, Ron says that he's hiding at the bottom of his bed, shaking. By the time they line up outside the Transfiguration classroom, Harry had to resolve himself on asking Professor McGonagall for permission to go to Hogsmeade. He notices Lavender Brown at the front of the line, crying and being comforted by Parvati Patil. Lavender had received a letter that morning saying that her bunny Binky was killed by a fox. Lavender says she should have known because Professor Trelawney told her that the thing she is dreading would happen on the 16th of October. Now Hermione, as a highly logical person, questions how Lavender could have dreaded Binky being killed by a fox. And Lavender says, well, not necessarily a fox, but obviously she did dread him dying. So Hermione concludes that Binky must have been an old rabbit. But Lavender tells her that no, in fact, he was just a baby. So as Lavender glares at Hermione, Hermione says that Binky didn't even die today. Lavender just happened to get the news today and that Lavender couldn't have dreaded Binky dying because it's obviously come as a real shock. I absolutely <laughs> love this. Like, she's not wrong at no. all. <laughs> she's a very logical person, but sometimes it makes her lack compassion. God, which honestly is very autistic coded. I can be like that at times. If somebody's telling me something that makes no sense, I'm like, but you're not thinking logically. Logically, yeah. logically this is the sequence <laughs> of events. And I just have that in my head. So I'm not. A hundred percent. I understand that, except I've learned now that you kind of have to validate how they're feeling first before you go into the logical side of it and be yeah. like, Yes, I understand why you're feeling this way, and I'm sorry you're feeling this way, but let's take a step back for a second and look at this in a logical way instead of with your emotional brain. Yeah, I need to practice that a little bit more. <laughs> if I know something should be a certain way or is a certain way and somebody's telling me otherwise, I'm like, oh, no, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I don't think Parvati's wrong though. Parvati? Yeah. Wrong in what? Sorry, I missed. Like that. I don't think. Like I understand Hermione's point of view, but I still think that she's like. She, I think right. she has a right to be upset. Lavender, you mean? Lavender, yeah. In the sense that Trelawney predicted that something bad would happen that day, like we said earlier, divination's kind of like more interpretive, right? I agree with you. Regardless of when it happened, she still found the news out that particular that day. day. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm saying about Trelawney. She's not very definite in her predictions, mm -hmm. but they do come true. Right, Leah? Like, her predictions are vague and they could mean anything, but then when it happens, you're like, okay, yeah, she wasn't wrong. Exactly. She's like, something, I, like I don't know what it, it's like, it's like anxiety. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. I don't know what's going to happen. Nothing bad, but happen. something will happen. I don't know why Lavender didn't bring Binky to school with her. Yeah, an owl, a cat, or a toad. I know the oh, letter like, specifies like an owl, a cat, or a toad. Ron has a rat. Lee has a tarantula. And later on, Ginny gets a pygmy puff. So I looked it up because I was curious if they could only have those three animals, which obviously they don't. But mm -hmm. according to the Harry Potter lexicon, the cat, owl, or toad rule is just a guideline. It's mm -hmm. not actually a rule. So by the time Professor McGonagall lets them into class, Ron and Hermione are like staring daggers at each other and they don't speak for the duration of the class. At the end of the lesson, Professor McGonagall reminds everyone to make sure that their Hogsmeade permission forms are handed into her before Halloween. Neville thinks that he may have lost his, but his grandmother thought it would be safer to send it directly to Professor McGonagall herself. Harry lingers after class to ask Professor McGonagall if she can give him permission to go to Hogsmeade. She says, no form, no visiting the village. That's the rule. Harry explains to her that his aunt and uncle don't understand about Hogwarts forms. And if she could just say that he can go, then surely it would be enough. But McGonagall regrettably says that she does not say he can go. She's like, but I don't say. I don't understand Harry's thinking because the minister himself told, told him, him no. No, <laughs> I don't know why he thought McGonagall was going to say yes. Do you think if it wasn't for Sirius, she would have said yes? No, I don't. And I mm -hmm. think McGonagall really means that this is the rule. So no, you are yeah. not going. See, and for me, like when you know why the rule exists, it's yeah. a lot easier to follow. Knowing Harry's uh, situation. They make an exception for everything else when it comes to him. Right. But it's, this is his safety. Again, they saying, make an exception with everything else oh, when it comes to him. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's also true. I think you're right, though. I think if Sirius Black wasn't at large, he would have been able to get one of the teachers or someone from Hogwarts to give him permission to go to Hogwarts. I think Dumbledore himself would have probably given him permission. Yes. But I don't think McGonagall would. Or she would have said, you know what, Potter, take it up with the headmaster. She herself, I don't think would have gave him permission. No. no but I feel like he would have, like... He would have found a way. Yeah. 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 Which he still does, but... So Harry had to endure all the excited talk about the upcoming trip. Ron tries to cheer him up and reminds him that there's still the Halloween feast to look forward to. Dean offers to forge Uncle Vernon's signature, but Harry's already told Professor McGonagall that he hadn't had his form signed. And then Ron suggests that Harry use the invisibility cloak, but Hermione squashes that and says that Dementors can see through cloaks, 
but dementors are blind so they can't actually see through cloaks if anything they could just feel his presence that being the case if harry would have just stayed under the cloak among the crowd would they have actually known he was there i feel like he could have snuck past with the rest of the school yeah but with the effect the dementors have on harry that's yeah that would be the issue not so much that they sense him but the effect that they have on him it's true they wouldn't have known unless they told them exactly how many students are supposed to be leaving they might have been able to sense there was an extra one but other than that how would they have known that harry was sneaking out yeah they wouldn't yeah it's like you said meg it's more the effect that they have on him so percy also tries to make harry feel better but only succeeds in making him feel worse Harry is thoroughly depressed by the time Halloween morning arrives and Ron and Hermione call a truce in light of Harry's misery and offer to bring him loads of sweets back from Honey Dukes. As everyone departs for Hogsmeade, Harry heads back to the Gryffindor common room where Colin Creevy beckons him over to sit with him and his friends. Harry suddenly remembers that he has work to do in the library and heads back out of the portrait hole. Halfway to the library, he runs into Filch, who snarls at him and tells him to go back to his common room. Why does he have to go back to his common room? He's well within his rights to roam around the castle on a Saturday morning. I was wondering that too. Are they not allowed to walk around as long as it's within the hours? Yeah, whatever's up around sideways. (laughs) As he wanders the hall, Harry hears a voice call to him from a classroom. Lupin is peeking around his office doorway and asks Harry where Ron and Hermione are. When Harry tells him that they have gone to Hogsmeade, he beckons Harry into his office to show him the grindy low that he's got for their next lesson. Lupin makes them tea and teases Harry about his tea leaf reading and divination, and he says that Professor McGonagall told him about it. How did that conversation go? Did she tell Lupin that this happened because she was poking fun at Trelawney? Or was it more like, you know, we need to keep a closer eye on Harry because he saw the Grim? Why would she even bring that up to Lupin? I mean, they have a staff room. I feel like maybe they were just, you know, shooting the shit about their first day. She's like, guess who's dying this year? (laughs) Did you guys hear who it is this year? They take polls in the summer. (laughs) What student do we think she's going to predict this year? They have like the list up in the staff room. They make bets. So Lupin notices that something is troubling Harry. And after thinking twice about it, Harry actually decides to ask Lupin why he didn't let him face the bogger in their first class. I really love that Harry had the nerve and the maturity to confront Lupin. Like something was bothering him. And instead of just letting it fester and continuing to resent him, he's like, okay, I'm going to ask you straight out. I love that he did that. Yeah, I thought it was really great. I'm like, wow, this kid's never even been to therapy in his life. (laughs) (laughs) Because you know, when something's bothering you, you think somebody did something or something they said you think is directed at you and you just kind of let it fester and like you you just start hating them more and more and more. That's the mature thing to do. Just yeah, ask 100%. them and they will tell you and like Lupin was really ma- I mean he's an adult so he yeah. should have been really mature about it but he like didn't deny it like Harry thought he was going to yes. he was like yeah okay no you're right I did do that and this is why I thought it would have been obvious yeah so Harry thought that Lupin would deny doing such a thing but Lupin tells him he thought it was obvious that Harry's bogger would be Lord Voldemort And Harry is surprised by this, and I don't know why, because he knows that that was his original thought. So it would make sense that other people would also think that that's what his boggart would be. Yeah. 
unless his surprise was more the fact that Lupin didn't deny it and he was expecting him to deny it, maybe that's what he was surprised about. Lupin is very impressed when Harry tells him that his fear was actually a Dementor and not Voldemort. And he said that suggests that Harry's biggest fear is fear itself, which is very wise. And Harry is much happier now knowing that Lupin did not think him incapable of facing a Boggart. So as they chat over tea, Snape enters with a goblet of potion for Lupin and tells him to drink it straight away and that he's made an entire cauldron full if Lupin should need more. When Snape leaves, Harry is very weary of Lupin drinking anything that Snape has brewed for him. But Lupin has been feeling under the weather and Snape is one of the only people that can brew this particular potion. And that just kind of shows you the skills that mm. Snape has. Say what you want about him, but you can't deny that he's talented. As Harry watches Lupin drain the goblet, he has the urge to knock it out of his hands. Just mind his own damn business. <laughs> well, why does he think he knows everything? That's just kind of a teenage hazard, I think. I guess, yeah, because I'm like, you don't even know, like, they went to school together. They could have been best friends in school for but all you know. He doesn't know that, though. I know, but why does he think that he knows everything? That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, you don't even know about all their past. Like, they're yes. grown adults. He knows what he's doing. As know. soon as I read it, and I'm like, man, this boy can just not mind his own goddamn business. But he also makes sure that Lupin knows that Snape is very interested <laughs> in the defense against the dark cards job and would probably do anything to get it. <laughs> what do you think Lupin thought when he said that? Do you think he went to Snape and be like, hey, listen, Harry thinks you're trying to poison me? I, I don't think he would have gone to Snape, but I do think that Lupin probably puts that together yeah. in, in his own mind. <laughs> Lupin dismisses Harry because he has work to do. So Harry goes back to the common room and gets showered with Honeyduke's treats by Ron and Hermione as they regale him with their tales of their adventures in Hogsmeade. They discuss the exchange between Lupin and Snape on the way down to the Halloween feast Harry sees Lupin at the head table looking perfectly happy and healthy and then notices Snape glaring at Lupin more often than was natural. With their bellies full, they head back to Gryffindor Tower, but the corridor to the portrait was jammed with students and no one was entering the common room. Percy, very importantly, makes his way to the front of the crowd and yells out for someone to get Professor Dumbledore. As the crowd separates to let Dumbledore through, they notice that the fat lady was no longer in her portrait and the canvas had been viciously slashed. McGonagall, Lupin, and Snape arrive. Again, McGonagall and Snape, as always. Dumbledore asks Professor McGonagall to tell Filch to search every painting in the castle for the fat lady, but before she could leave, Peeves bobs overhead saying that the fat lady doesn't want to be seen, she is embarrassed and a horrible mess. He saw her running through the landscape on the fourth floor crying. Dumbledore asks Peeves if she said who had attacked her, and Peeves replies that indeed she did. It was Sirius Black, who got angry when she wouldn't let him in because he didn't have the password. So according to the Harry Potter wiki... There's really not much known about the fat lady apart from the fact that she was educated at Hogwarts and was sorted into Gryffindor House. She died sometime in the 1890s at the very latest since her portrait was already guarding the Gryffindor common room by that time. Portraits can go into any other portraits within the castle and the subjects of portraits can visit other portraits of themselves anywhere in the world. 
I would have paintings of me like <laughs> we'll put one in France, we'll put one in Italy, we'll put like one having in your own port key. I was gonna say she's not very brave for a Gryffindor, but I guess she did tell Sirius that he wasn't allowed in, so I guess that was kind yeah. of yeah. She kept up the brave face till he went away, and then she's like, <laughs> she <"Hey."> ran away. <laughs> Megan, we will head over to you in the Hufflepuff common room for Would You Rather. All right. Today's Would You Rather question, since we've seen a couple new dark art creatures, uh, would you rather have to fight a red cap or a grindolo? Forget what red caps do. They go in the red forest, caps, right? Yes, no. So red caps show up anywhere there has been bloodshed. So in the dungeons, abandoned battlefields, and they wait for people to get lost and then bludgeon them to death. I will take red caps just for the fact that they are not underwater. I feel like I have more of a fighting chance on solid ground. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a strong swimmer, so. Interesting. I'm taking the Grindelow. Well, you know how to swim. So. <laughs> I do know how to swim. Also, they seem easier to defeat. All you have to do is break their grip. So all you got to do is smash their fingers. If someone's trying to bludgeon me to death, like, oh my god, that involves a lot of running. No. Do they say how to defeat a red cap? They did not. Yeah, I have a little blurb here about them in my bestiary. Red caps live in places that have seen considerable bloodshed, such as battlefields, and will try to bludgeon anyone who strays into the territory at night. Because wizards can easily repel them with magic, these creatures have been given a moderate classification by the Ministry of Magic. This is easily repelled by charms and hexes. Yeah, I'm still taking the red cap. Yeah. Megan, Grindylo. Grindylo. All righty. Megan, can we have homework for next week, please? <laughs> Our homework for next week is to read Chapter 9, Grim Defeat. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, leaving us a rating and review would be awesome. And maybe mention us to all of your Potter friends. That brings us to the end of this episode. Join us next week as we continue reading through the Harry Potter series. You can send any questions, comments, or concerns to Podcast at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast.